everything, everything, everything gonna be all right this morning. Live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette, here is the producer extraordinaire, Hannah Five Names, and your big, bald, beautiful host, Raymond Parts III, better known as RP3. Good morning. Welcome to RP3 and Company on this eh, slightly muggy Monday morning, June the 13th. Appreciate you tuning in this morning to help us kick off your work week. I'm the big, bald, and beautiful one, Raymond Parts III, better known as RP3. Of course, I'm joined in the studio by the producer extraordinaire, Hannah Five Names. We got a tremendous show lined up for you today. Plenty to get to, plenty to recap. It was an enormously busy weekend in the sports world. We'll talk everything LSU with Jeff Palermo, our friend from Tiger Rag Radio and the Louisiana Radio Network. He'll join us at 7.30 this morning. He'll give us his thoughts on what should be the offseason needs, the goals, if you will, for the LSU Tigers for baseball, basketball, and football. That'll be happening at 7.30. At 8 o'clock, Scott Rabelais, the award-winning columnist and golf writer for the Baton Rouge Advocate, will join us. Get his thoughts on the PGA Tour, the LIV. Uh, They're going back and forth. We got the commissioner of the PGA Tour out there throwing shade towards the LIV and so much more. It's an interesting weekend. It's an interesting time in the world of professional golf. Rabs will try to give us some perspective there. That'll be at 8 o'clock. And then at 8.30, the Big Easy Blitz. We'll be featuring Ross Jackson, our friend from the Locked on Saints podcast. Mini camp is coming up. Training camp has yet to be solidified what date that's going to be. We just know that's going to be coming up. What are the big questions, pressing questions, for the black and gold heading into mini camp and training camp right around the bend? Ross will break it all down for us at 8.30 today. And, of course, we'll touch on NBA Finals, NHL, Stanley Cup, the New Orleans Breakers, earning a playoff berth, Louisiana stand-up, and the Houston Astros struggling against some par competition yet again. We'll get to all that on this edition of the RP3 and the company. Of course, we love to hear from you. Hotline's always open. 337-706-0111. That's 337-706-0111. But we're going to start off today talking about NCAA Super Regionals. Remember when I told you there hadn't been a team... That was the number one overall seed for the NCAA baseball tournament that won the national championship since 1999. I've been dropping that nugget of information to you guys for the better part of the last two and a half weeks. And Tennessee, the Volunteers, who became the most annoying team in college baseball this season, carried over from last year, and then they just took on the the villain role, if you will, for college baseball. They're the number one overall seed, or they were. 
as they took on Notre Dame. And sure enough, Tennessee loses in the Super Regionals, a Super Regional they hosted as Notre Dame took them out yesterday, 7-3, to three, hit a couple late back-to-back jacks. And the Tennessee Volunteers, your number one overall seed, the number one team in the country, doesn't even make it to Omaha. Same thing happened last year with Arkansas. It's the kiss of death. It's the kiss of death. I don't want to be the number one overall seed. <laughs> I don't want the regular season to end. And we head into NCAA regional play as the one seed. I don't want it. I don't want to be around it. No, thank you. Bye-bye. I thought Tennessee would win this regional. I said on the air, I felt Notre Dame was going to push them. And not only did Notre Dame push them, they beat them. In Knoxville. And now Notre Dame is headed to the College World Series. The first team to punch their ticket to the College World Series was Texas A&M. They did it in the fewest amount of games a team has done it in years. They only needed five games total. Three in their regional and two in their super. And they moved on. Former TCU coach that's now there has turned that program around. Remember, Texas A&M Aggies didn't even qualify for the SEC tournament a year ago. Now they're headed to Omaha for the College World Series. And while Tennessee, the number one overall team in the country, disappointed, the SEC did have plenty of things to be happy about over the weekend. Not only did Texas A&M punch their ticket to Omaha, so did Arkansas and Ole Miss. I gave you two of my upset specials. I gave you three of them last week, actually, when we talked about previewing the Super Regionals. I said, watch out on upset alert. will be number 10 North Carolina against Arkansas. I said on upset alert will be Southern Miss at home hosting a Super Regional for the first time versus Ole Miss. And watch out for number four, Vitek. Because they're going to be on upset watch as a team that no one wants to face, Oklahoma, who ran through the Big 12 tournament and ran through their first regional, was headed up to Blacksburg. Arkansas yesterday defeated North Carolina 4-3 to to win the Chapel Hill Super Regional to punch their ticket to Omaha. Ole Miss defeated Southern Miss 5 to nothing, blanked them, and they're headed to Omaha. Remember when they were going to fire Ole Miss's head coach? Baseball's a funny game. Baseball's a funny game. Rebels went to looking lost, one of the worst teams in the SEC, to now they're in the College World Series. It's funny how that works. Ole Miss is there. Notre Dame is in Omaha. Arkansas, Texas A&M. And the other big one for the weekend, that other big upset special, Oklahoma. Not only did Oklahoma beat Virginia Tech, they crushed their faces yesterday. 11-2. Boomer Sooner, the hottest team in the country right now. Goes into Blacksburg, knocks out the Hokies. 
and they've moved on to Omaha. So all three teams that I said be wary of for being upset, it's exactly what happened. Oklahoma upsets the four-seed Virginia Tech. Arkansas upsets the 10-seed North Carolina. And Ole Miss upsets the 11-seed Southern Miss. So three national seeds right there go down. A fourth went down as well as Tennessee, the number one overall seed, gets upset. A couple of these series will be wrapped up today because they didn't start until Saturday. Stanford found themselves down one game to nothing. UConn, the Fighting Huskies, go into Palo Alto and say, I don't care about you being in California. I don't care you being the two seed. We're going to take game one, and that's exactly what they did. Stanford responded well, winning yesterday's game two, eight to two. And that evens that series, that best of three series, at one game apiece. Texas, meanwhile, they also have moved on to the College World Series. The Longhorns found themselves down one game to nothing against East Carolina. The Pirates battled the Longhorns in game two, but Texas pulled out the win. And then Texas just jumped out early and never looked back, beating East Carolina 11-1 to yesterday. Longhorns in the College World Series. The Pirates still have that dubious streak, that dubious distinction, if you will, of being the team with the most regional appearances in NCAA history without making it to a College World Series. And it's got to be heartbreaking for ECU because not only were they home for the Supers, they won the first game of the Supers. And then to see Texas win back-to-back games on your home field is a bit of a tough pill to swallow. We'll have two of these series decided today, or tonight, rather. Once again, Texas A&M, they're in. Oklahoma is in. Arkansas in. Notre Dame, Ole Miss, Texas are in. We have six of our eight participants for the College World Series in Omaha. They're already packing their bags. They're headed over to lovely Nebraska. What's left? Stanford, UConn, winner-take-all game today. Oregon State, the three-seed national seed against the 14-seed Auburn. Oregon State guts out a come-from-behind victory yesterday, last night, 4-3. to three. Auburn had taken game one. Oregon State was on the precipice of being eliminated. But they force, come back and force a game three. UConn-Stanford will be your early game. And look, I I didn't give UConn much of a chance because the level of competition that they played this year, I thought they would kind of just peter out, so to speak, in the Super Regional against a team like Stanford, who's the number two national seed. But credit the Huskies. They've won 50 games. This is a 50-win team. They're no joke. So UConn-Stanford, that'll be this afternoon, 3 o'clock. And then the nightcap... For the final spot in the College World Series between Auburn and Oregon State, that'll be at 6.30. So, we'll see who joins the rest of that group. 
Lots of SEC representation. If you're an LSU fan, you can't be too thrilled about that. Of course, everyone's happy about Tennessee losing because the way they've acted and behaved and carried themselves not only last year, but this year. They even abruptly tried to early knock Notre Dame off the field after the Fighting Irish beat them. They're a bit of, how do I say this? They're, they're babies. They talk a lot of trash. They mouth off at the ump. They mouth off at the other team. They mouth off at everyone. And yet when they don't back it up, you know, they do the classic, I'm taking my toys and going home. Uh, look, if, if you're going to be the bad boys of college baseball, if you're going to be that, you're going to have all that swagger and all that other stuff, well, you better back it up. And when you don't, be humble enough to be able to hold your head high and walk off the field with some respect. But the team doesn't have that. And that's made them a big storyline, and that's made them box office to watch, but... Guess who's not in the College World Series? The Tennessee Volunteers. We'll talk more, a little super regional talk in College World Series. That's still coming up. Love to hear from you. Get your thoughts on what happened over the weekend. We do have our poll question of the day. It's about the Super Regional Series. Which upset was the most surprising? Which NCAA Super Regional Series upset is the most surprising to you. Is it Notre Dame over number one Tennessee? Is it Arkansas over UNC, the North Carolina Tar Heels? Is it Oklahoma, Boomer Sooner, over the Hokies of Vitek? Or was it Ole Miss over Southern Miss? Go vote on our poll question of the day. Leave your comments on Facebook and Twitter, and we'll make sure to share them with all of you. You're listening to the game. 1037 Lafayette, one Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, and your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Want to join in the discussion with RP3? Then just give us a call on the hotline. You know the number. 2-4-9-5-6-7-8. I can't hear you. You're trailing off. And did I catch a niner in there? Were you calling from a walkie-talkie? No need to be embarrassed. Just call us at 337-706-0111. Back to more RP3 and company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Rescue Fest is Saturday, June 25th at Park International. It's a day of live music featuring the Sarah Russo Band, Jet 7, Layla Laverne, Hunter Corville, and Cam Nelson. Look, there's going to be plenty of food, games, and even a raffle. And here's the great thing. Rescue Fest is a fundraiser for the Rescue Group of Acadiana, a group that provides financial and emotional assistance to grieving families of child loss. So this is going to be a great event and something that desperately needs your assistance to buy tickets go to simply eventbrite or visit rescuegroup.org once again that's going to be r-e-s-c-y-o-u group.org once again rescue fest is saturday june 25th at park international poll question of the day super regional surprises 
That's what it all comes down to. We had multiple ones over the weekend. Four lower-seeded teams, including, well, all four of them were non-national seats. These were teams that had to win their regionals on the road. Then they went on for the Supers, and they did the same thing. Right now, leading the vote of which NCAA Super Regional Series upset was the most surprising. 76% of you say Notre Dame over top seed Tennessee. 18% say Ole Miss over Southern Miss. And 6% say Arkansas over North Carolina. No votes yet for Oklahoma over four seed Virginia Tech. John Paul Cajun Daddy says Notre Dame beating Tennessee was by far the biggest surprise. Good morning, y'all. And he shared a gif of mustard. <laughs> Someone tweeted out a shirt of the Tennessee colors on a t-shirt. And on the front of it, it said Super Regional runner-ups. <laughs> Which I found. Once again, Tennessee is braggadocious. Tennessee has a swag about them. And they ruffled feathers last year with that type of behavior. And this year, they backed it up because they became the number one team in the country. That's great. It's amazing. But when you develop a reputation for rubbing people the wrong way, when you develop a reputation for being kind of punks, when you lose, and you lose at home, and you don't make it to the College World Series, guess what's going to happen? Everyone's going to come out and take their shot against you. Everyone's going to take a swing and try to kick you while you're down. That's how it works. I hope Tennessee can deal with it, and I hope they're thick-skinned enough to be able to deal with it because they kind of deserve it. Let's head out to the hotline. Welcome on David first to the show. David, good morning to you, brother. What's on your mind, my friend? David is no longer there. David, if you want to, Feel free to call back, brother. The game hotline is open for you. 337-706-0111. That's 337-706-0111. Let's head back out to the hotline. Welcome on our guy, Doug. Doug, good morning to you, brother. What's on your mind? Good morning, Ray. Yeah, man, that was some good baseball this weekend. It really was. Oh, it was. I got a chance to get caught up on everything because of softball, but I was surprised at Notre Dame. I really was. I mean, Tennessee was supposed to have the best pitching and the best hitting, uh, but Notre Dame said, uh, uh, hold my beer. And, and there's something about that, Doug, when you look at the weekend, right? Those four teams that pulled off the upsets, they had already done so the week before in the regional round. All of them, Arkansas, they, Oklahoma, yes. Notre Dame, and Ole Miss all went on the road as the three seeds, two or three seeds in those regionals, won those regionals, and then punched their ticket to the Supers. I think that says something. I just do because it they – It certainly does. And listen, Ray, Ray, Texas and Oklahoma are, are both the SEC-bound teams, supposedly. Yes, they are. Uh, I'm, I mean, Ray, look. Look at the softball World Series. It was Oklahoma-Texas. Not Texas, Oklahoma baseball. They're in the mix to go to Omaha. Uh, the SEC will, will, will be decided uh, this morning with with Auburn if we could have four 
SEC teams in Omaha, plus Oklahoma and Texas, future SEC teams. Man, Omaha would be chock-a-block with SEC teams, right? And, brother, and here's the thing. We we focus so much on football because football is the one that moves the needle, right? Especially for revenue purposes about this expansion. But adding Texas and Oklahoma, what that's going to do for the level of competition and the depth for baseball and softball, we haven't talked enough about it, but right. it's going it, to, you could argue the SEC's already the best conference in both of those. But when you oh, add wow. Oklahoma and Texas, yeah. yes. Oh, yes. it's going to be game over, hey, man. It's going to hey, be game over. Hey, Ray. Hey, Ray. Do you think that they would make a push at the end of August or in August sometime to go ahead and make it official? Have all the lawyers sign all the papers and everything? Or you think we're going to have to go through another year? It's a good question, Doug. Let me answer it, brother. Thank you for your phone call. Appreciate your time, my friend. Thank you, Ray. What Doug is talking about is obviously, uh, of course, Oklahoma, Texas. They're they've they're supposed to be coming to the SEC, and that's not supposed to happen until 2024, right? Supposed to be happening after this this upcoming season. I think it's happening a year early. I think. Having the Big 12 make the announcement of adding those new teams early, Houston and others, and then the Conference USA said, hey, look at what we're doing. I think lawyers get involved. This is the same thing. It's not going to happen for the 2022 season, but I fully anticipate Oklahoma and Texas being in the fold, being members of the Southeastern Conference, for 2023 season when Missouri and Texas A&M were added out of the big 12 they were also supposed to wait and then lawyers got involved not only for the universities and their athletic departments but also for the SEC and settlements were made and since the big 12 is now allowing some of these new teams to enter early enter a year early, it kind of feels like they're paving the way to say, okay, we got your replacements already set. They're already on board. If you guys pay us your exit fee, you guys can leave a year early. That's what I think is going to happen. And I think the fact that they already have made the announcement that you know they're adding those new teams that they poached away from Conference USA and other places, BYU as an independent bringing all of them in that announcement was made over the weekend or late on Friday I do believe that's an indicator to me that talks have been going on behind the scenes and that we could see Oklahoma and Texas join the mighty SEC for the 2023 football season I don't have any sources for that but based on history that's what it kind of looks like to me we got to take a timeout We can keep this NCAA Super Regional talk going. Love to hear from you. Hotline is open. You know that. Just be kind. Nice to the lady on the other end of the phone. To call the game hotline, just dial 337-706-0111. That's 337-706-0111. Our poll question of the day is, which NCAA Super Regional Series upset is the most surprising? Notre Dame over Tennessee. Arkansas over UNC. OU over Vitek and Ole Miss over Southern Miss, all four upsets 
were by teams that were not national seeds over teams that were national seeds. Pretty interesting. Pretty interesting. Makes for tremendous excitement in college baseball over the weekend as well. When we come back here on RP3 and Company, we'll get to some USFL playoffs. One team in particular punched their ticket. The Braves continue to be the hottest team in baseball. The Astros avoid the sweep. The weekend that was is coming up next right here. On the game, 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, and you're home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. We know you're listening because if you weren't, you wouldn't have heard this little message. But you- whether you're working or helping your wife shop for curtains, serenity now! You'll be brought up to speed on the highlights you may have missed. Thank you, you've been heavy. Here is the weekend that was on RP3 and Company. Houston Astros are tired. And when I say tired, they're tired of playing bad teams because the bad teams keep beating them. And that was the case yet again. Over the weekend, the Miami Marlins take game one of the series on Friday, 7-4. to four. Then they turn around and beat the Astros 5-1. to one. And the Astros' bats have had some issues of late. In particular, Alex Bregman and Yuli Gurriel have struggled. They're a bit in a slump, the both of them. But yesterday, you had to feel good about yourself if you're an Astros fan because Justin Verlander was going to be on the bump. He doesn't need a ton of run run support. Well, of course, a guy that typically doesn't need a ton of run support needed it yesterday. He pitched magnificent for the first seven innings or the first six innings. Then came the seventh, and he had some struggles. Had some struggles as he gave up three runs, but only uh, he gave up four runs, but only three were earned. Astros committed three errors yesterday. Woof. Sloppiness. Verlander gets out of the inning. And Miami puts up four in the seventh. And that makes it a four five game advantage. Astros. So their lead is now all of a sudden down to a mere one run. But then in the bottom of the eighth, Jose Altuve says, you know what? I got this. The little man, the little fella, comes up to the plate and says, it's time for me to hit a three-run home run. It's exactly what he did. Belts a three-run blast there in the eighth inning. Alvarez adds to the lead as he hits a sack fly that scores Michael Brantley Jr. As the Astros score four runs there in the bottom of the eighth inning to take all the momentum back. And that's plenty enough as they win 9-4. to four. Verlander, despite giving up the three earned runs there in the seventh inning, he still gets credited with the win. He's now 8-2 on the year. ERA still south of two even with giving up three earned runs in the ball game his era is still 1.94 pretty phenomenal (laughs) i'm not gonna lie to you 
pretty phenomenal. And the Astros avoid the dreaded sweep. I'll say this. The Strohs are one of the best teams in baseball. They have had a bit of struggle last week and a half. Garcia or Keedy have not pitched well. They've had some rough outings. And the lineup is struggling. And when you look at this team, Bregman's finally above 200. But he's only hitting 225. Now, he had a bit of a good game yesterday. A game that he needed. Look, he took accountability after Saturday's game, saying that he had to play better. Dusty Baker got a little pissy about having to talk about Bregman's struggles yet again. And Dusty's old school, so he's going to let his guy kind of hit out of it, right? That's what he did. And Bregman had a good day at the dish. Two for four. He also drew a walk, which means he got on the base paths three times. That's a step in the right direction. But Bregman did not look great last year when he was injured. He's not looked great this year. But baseball is a long, long season. 162 games. And you heard Jose Altuve yesterday after the game talk about that he has the utmost confidence in guys like Yuli Gurriel and Alex Bregman to get out of their slumps. Because those are the two, two of the best, two of the team's top five best hitters are not hitting well even after yesterday Bregman's average is only at 225 Yuli is at 221 now Yuli also got himself a hit yesterday scored a run also drew a walk so he got on the base paths twice once again baby steps for these two guys but this team is 37 and 23 firmly atop the standings in the AL West and two of their top five hitters are batting below 230, and it's June the 13th, and they're still having all the success. Alvarez, Altuve, Michael Brantley is all hovering around 300 again. Jeremy Pena, the rookie sensation, is batting 277. So they got the other guys that are picking up the slack. And maybe yesterday's game for the Strohs with Yuli Gurriel and Alex Bregman both getting on the base pass multiple times. Maybe be maybe that'll be the thing that'll kind of help spark a turnaround, help spark getting those two guys out of their slump because they've been struggling this season. With the exception of a good game here or there. They've been struggling. A team that has not been struggling of late has been the Atlanta Braves. They started off the season, not going to be, not going to mince words here. They were awful. They were awful. They were playing awful. They were committing errors. They were leaving runners on base paths. They were doing dumb things while trying to steal bases. They were a bit of a mess. Yesterday, the Bravos beat the Pittsburgh Pirates 5-3. Beating the Pirates is nothing to, you know, write home about, as they like to say except for the fact that it improved the Braves to 34-27 and 27 overall. They've now won 11 straight. 11 straight. Wright gets the win, improves the 7-3 and three on the year. Jansen picks up the save, his 18th of the year. And Contreras and Duvall hit back-to-back jacks for the Braves 
And the Braves are starting to play like the team that we saw in the second half last year. Once again, start of the season, awful, awful for the Braves, the defending World Series champs. But they sure do seem like they're turning around. Acuna, who went 0 for 2 uh, yesterday, he got on base twice. He's still he's hitting now over 311. Swanson got a hit. He's hitting 290. Olsen, who had a bit of a slump coming in, the hometown boy replacing the legend Freddie Freeman at first base for the uh, for the Braves. He got a hit, drove, you know, scored a run, drove in a run. He's batting 251. A lot of these guys that have been struggling are starting to turn a corner. And the Braves have now won 11 straight. Baseball's a funny game. And, and, and look, this Braves team, for the most part, even though a lot of the pieces are elsewhere, Solar, for example, World Series hero, he's playing for Miami again. Some of the pieces are gone, right? Freddie Freeman's with the Dodgers. Solar's gone as well. But the but the the core of this team is still here. And this is a team that last year was below 500 at the All-Star break. They were aggressive at the trade deadline. They were aggressive making moves. And sure enough, here they are. And they're only five and a half games behind the Mets. Now, the Mets, man, they're playing like one of the best teams in baseball. They have already gotten to 40 wins. And they only needed 62 games to get there. So the Braves are trailing the Mets by five and a half games. But it sure does seem like they found their mojo finally after a rough start to the season. And when you look at the National League... Mets leading the East, Braves five and a half games behind them. The Central is going to be a dogfight all year between the Cardinals and the Brewers. Cardinals right now are up on the Brewers by half a game. It's going to be a dogfight as well over in the National League West between the Dodgers and the Padres in particular. Giants lurking. They're there three and a half games back of the Dodgers, but going to have some interesting divisional races in Major League Baseball this summer. The Strohs, despite dropping two of three to the Marlins, they still hold an eight-and-a-half game lead over the Texas Rangers. That's who they'll play starting tomorrow. They have the day off today. Strohs will get back to action tomorrow for a series in Arlington against the Texas Rangers. First pitch, 7.05. You can listen to that game in all Houston Astros baseball right here on the game. Twins. I'm still not sold on them. I don't know. I've watched them play a couple games, and I don't know. They're 35-27, and but they lead the Central by three games. And, of course, the Yankees, right now you could argue the Yankees are the best team in baseball. I'm not a Yankees fan, so it doesn't give me pleasure to say that. But the Yankees are the best team in baseball. The pitching is there. I had question marks about the pitching. I did for a long time. The pitching is there, and the lineup is filthy. Judge is just hitting home runs left and right like you expect him to do, and his strikeouts aren't as much. Will they be able to be strong enough mentally? My my, my question mark about the Yankees is not physically what they can do. They have the lineup, and the pitching appears to be there. My question is, under this skipper, 
is this Yankee team mentally strong enough to be able to punch their ticket to the World Series? They have all the talent. On paper, they look like a team that should do it. Will they is the other question. But right now, they're head and shoulders the best team in baseball, 44-16 on the year. Looks like they're running away with the American League East. So, baseball, baseball, baseball. And that baseball talk has inspired someone to call up the hotline. Martin, good morning to you, brother. What's on your mind, my friend? Good morning, bald and beautiful one. Man, you must be over the moon this morning, huh? Your braids are on Eleventh Street. Look, you know, I, and I took look, I took Martin. I'm gonna be honest with you. I have no uh-huh. expectations for this season. Kevin Foote right. gave me the great the great thing of saying it's a hammock season. Yeah, you, you know, you, right. you just sit in the hammock with your trophy and you enjoy being the champs. Don't worry about anything. Right. But I'm not gonna lie to you. I'm pumped up that my team's won eleven straight games. Now, they've done so against some Paul Ball competition, but they've won 11 straight games. I'd love to see them back in the playoffs. Absolutely. Well, well, according to Paul, number one Yankees fan, if a team wins 10 straight, they win in the World Series, you know? That's what he always told me, you know? I mean, but, uh, yeah, man, I wanted to tell you, uh, uh, I think if there's any team that can beat the Punks, the, uh, the Dodgers, I think it's your Braves, man. I mean, I mean, early on, you know, Acuna was was injured, and I think that had a big effect on him, you know. Uh, but since he's come back, they've played a lot better baseball. Uh, and uh, I think the New York Mets, the the start, they, I think that's all just smoke and mirrors right there, because if it comes down to the Mets and the Braves playing in the in the in the playoffs, I think your Braves would beat them. Hands down, you know. I think we hit. I mean, there's a lot of baseball left to be played. We still oh, yeah. had to get Absolutely. to the All Star game break, you know. But I mean, I think it's 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 gonna uh it's gonna be an interesting finish to the season a few months from now, you know, with all these teams getting hot, you know. I agree, brother. I appreciate the phone call, Martin. Enjoy your day, my friend. Yes, sir. Have a good one, buddy. Look, the the Mets have been able to do what they've been able to do to get to 40 wins done so without Scherzer and DeGrom being fully healthy. Now, the Mets raced out to a a great start a year ago as well and then crumbled down the stretch and the Braves were able to catch them. So once again, it's about the mental fortitude of some of these teams. Are the Mets going to be mentally strong enough to be able to hold on to that lead and put together a run in the postseason? That's the big question mark. As for the Dodgers, they're look, they've hit a bit of a bit of a skid here. They're four and six in their last ten. They've lost three in a row, and they've lost to some bad teams. Kershaw is in the twilight of his career. And the Padres just seem to have all the juice, if that makes any sense. Now, the big question for the Padres is once again, mental fortitude, can they get over the hurdle? They're a young, dynamic, fun team to watch. But can they get over it? And they've been playing extremely well of late. They've actually won seven of their last. They've gone seven and three in their last 10, even though they've lost back-to-back games. But yes, the Braves have the longest winning streak right now in baseball with 11 straight. But if I had to pick a team right now, the best team in baseball, as it stands right now on June 13th, is the Yankees, without question. Without question. Look, I don't root for the Yankees. But I'm not a Yankees hater. 
My old man loved the Yankees because he loved Mickey Mantle, as everyone in that generation did. Mickey, the pride of Oklahoma, made a lot of folks, a lot of kids from coast to coast in this country love baseball. So I have an appreciation for the Yankees' history. I respect it. Absolutely do. But I don't root for them, even though I do believe their pinstripe uniforms probably are the nicest in baseball. Detroit's pinstripes will as well. I love the old pinstripe look. I just do. We got to take a timeout. That'll do it for the Major League Baseball edition of The Weekend That Was. When we come back, we'll update the poll question of the day. F- wrap up our number one. Woo! It's a good start to today's show. It's going to get better. It's going to get better. Trust me. Stay tuned. Keep it dialed in right here. You're listening to the game, 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, and your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Download the free The Game mobile app for Android and Apple devices. No matter where you are in the country, you can listen to the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's Sports Station. Uh, the Game Club has a 1037thegame.com or 1041thegame.com can help you with your date night blues. Listen up. That's because once you become a member of our rewards club, you're going to have the opportunity to win excellent prizes. I'm talking excellent prizes. That's going to help you with those date night blues. Like a $50 gift certificate to Half Shell Oyster House. That's right. $50 gift certificate to Half Shell Oyster House. Because we want to help you take your lady out for some delicious Gulf seafood. But you can only score that gift certificate to Half Show Oyster House for $50 by joining the game clubhouse at 1037thegame.com or 1041thegame.com. And look, maybe your lady doesn't enjoy Gulf seafood. Not to worry. Because once you become a member of our clubhouse, which you can do by visiting the website and clicking on the clubhouse rewards tab, you can also enter to win a $150 gift certificate to Mr. Lester's Steakhouse. That's right. Mouth-watering steaks cooked to perfection just like you want them. You want it to be medium rare? Done. You want it medium well? Done. They'll make the, the delicious steaks exactly how you want them. Tremendous sides, desserts, and so much more. But you can only win that $150 gift certificate to Mr. Lester's Steakhouse by once again becoming a member of our clubhouse. So go join today. Visit 1037thegame.com or 1041thegame.com. Click on the clubhouse rewards tab. Become a member today. It's simple and it's free to do so. Let's check in on the poll question of the day. Plenty of upsets for the NCAA Super Regional round this weekend. Four of them, in fact, spring to mind. All four upsets came from teams that were not national seeds taking down national seeds. Notre Dame took down number one overall seed in Tennessee. Once again, the streak continues. The last number one seed to win the national title was Miami back in 1999. The one seed is a bit of a kiss of death. Was the biggest upset Notre Dame over Tennessee? Was it Arkansas taking down the 10 seed North Carolina? Was it OU? That train just keeps on rolling. Boomer Sumer 
going into Blacksburg and defeating Vitek, who was the national number four seed? Or was it Ole Miss winning the Battle of Mississippi over Southern Miss, who were hosting a Super Regional for the first time in program history? Right now, running away with it is Notre Dame over Tennessee. 77% of the vote going to the Fighting Irish, taking down the Vols. 17% of you say Ole Miss over Southern Miss. And 3% apiece for Arkansas over North Carolina and Oklahoma over Virginia Tech. Brad says on Twitter, I was pleasantly surprised by Notre Dame taking down those dirt bags. <laughs> see, see, yeah, Tennessee did not endear themselves to the college baseball community this year. Really, it started last year. This year, they just made it worse. But Ole Miss beating Southern Miss by a combined score of 15 to nothing surprised the hell out of me. Not, yeah, not only did Ole Miss beat Southern Miss, they shut them out in two games. That is, that's a tough one. That's a tough one. Keep those votes coming on our poll question of the day. Leave your votes on Facebook, your comments rather, on Facebook and Twitter. That's going to do it for hour number one. Hour number two coming up. More regional talk, LIV PGA Tour, and the Breakers earning a playoff berth. It's all coming up right here. On the game, 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, and your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette, here is the producer extraordinaire, Hannah Five Names, and your big, bald, beautiful host, Raymond Parts III, better known as RP3. Ooh, our number two has arrived. We're about to take this show to another level. First hour, very good. Some good phone calls to lead off the day, lead off the week, kind of set the tone for the week, if you will, from Doug and Martin. And we talked, well, we talked all baseball. NCAA Super Regional action over the weekend. Houston Astros, Atlanta Braves, little Yankees, a little MLB. Lots of baseball talk in hour number one. We'll have more of that this hour. We'll also... Talk a little LSU coming up half an hour from right now when Jeff Palermo from Tiger Rag Radio will join us to give us his thoughts on some big offseason questions still remaining for LSU football, baseball, and basketball. I'll all be coming up half an hour from right now. Of course, phone lines are open. Game hotline's open, 337-706-0111. That's 337-706-0111. Of course, hour number one sensational hour number two gonna get better because the intern extraordinaire daryl's in the building for hour number two him and hannah five names producer extraordinaire will collaborate come together and take this show from being very good to excellent you know what i'll take it back to the greatest thing ever made no pressure guys hope you're up for the hope, hope you're up to the task your grade depends on it for your internship by the way daryl sorry to tell you <laughs> oh man busy busy weekend we'll get to pga tour liv beef 
That's immensely intriguing of what's going on in professional golf right now. We'll do that in about 15 minutes from right now. But let's talk once again about Super Regional Weekend. We still have two spots remaining for the College World Series because those series won't be decided until today. Stanford, your number two national seed, found itself in a one-game hole after losing to UConn to start off the Supers. Stanford, the Cardinal, singular, not plural, by the way, got back on track yesterday, evened up this series, and now they'll play again this afternoon around 3.30. That'll determine one of the two final spots. The other one will go between the winner of Oregon State, Auburn. Auburn went into Corvallis, took game one. Oregon State rallied yesterday, last night, in fact, to come back and win that ball game 4-3. to three. So now that series is tied one apiece. So still waiting to see who's going to win Oregon State, Auburn, and who's going to win between UConn and Stanford. But six of the eight spots for the College World Series are in the books. Texas A&M out of the SEC West was the first to punch their ticket. The quickest to do so, by the way, they've only needed five games to make it to the College World Series. Three games in their own regional, two in the Supers, they're done. They've moved on. They easily took care of Louisville to be the first team in there. Joining them, Texas. Their old rivals from the Longhorn State. Longhorns come back being down one game to none against East Carolina over the weekend. On the road, Show some grit, take game two, and then just crush ECU in game three. The Pirates, meanwhile, still do not have a trip to Omaha on the resume. They have the most regional appearances, most postseason appearances without a College World Series appearance. And it's got to be heartbreaking for the Pirates and their fans because they were at home in Greenville for the Super. One game one, where one went away from making it and just weren't unable to close the door on Texas. So Texas A&M, Texas, they're in. Multiple teams from the SEC. Arkansas was the road team yet again in the Super Regional round as they went to play at North Carolina, the 10 seed. Razorbacks win it in walk-off fashion yesterday, and Pig Suey, they're in Omaha. Last year, they were the top overall seed that was upset in the Supers and didn't get a chance to go play in the College World Series. Arkansas had to go on the road for regional play. They win that. And then they go on the road for super regional play. And North Carolina's a weird team, a weird program for college baseball. They have College World Series appearances. But it's one of those teams where you just look at them and you go, ah. So Arkansas, they're in. A&M, Arkansas, and Texas have a very old Southwest Big 8 conference feel to them. (laughs) But they're all in. Joining them, Ole Miss. Rebels looked like they were going to fire their coach during the season. They were at one time the worst team in the SEC, West. And yet they find a way. They find a way. 
They turned their season around late when they came into Baton Rouge and swept LSU for the first time in program history. And they'd already been playing better before then, but that really kind of stands out. You're like, whoa. They had to go on the road as well as a three seed in the regional round. They win their regional. Then they go to Southern Miss. It's a battle of Mississippi. Southern Miss went toe-to-toe and took down LSU to win the Hattiesburg Regional to host a Super Regional for the first time in program history. Then Ole Miss went in there and shut them out in two games, 15 to nothing. Rebels are in. So Texas A&M, Texas, Arkansas, Ole Miss. Also like to point out that both Arkansas and Ole Miss were eliminated early from the SEC tournament. Ole Miss didn't get out a single elimination, by the way. And Arkansas suffered two losses. They went 0 for 2 and were bounced early. And both of those teams are now in Omaha. Gives you an interesting perspective about conference tournaments. By the way, Tennessee won the conference tournament. You know who's not playing in the College World Series? The Tennessee Volunteers. They, despite being the number one overall seed for the whole bracket, they get eliminated by Notre Dame. Notre Dame hits a couple of late back-to-back jacks in the game. They dogpile on the Volunteers field. And all the other fan bases in college baseball rejoice. Tennessee took on the the identity, have taken on the identity of their coach. And he's done an excellent job with recruiting. He's done an excellent job with coaching those guys up, and they win a ton of games. But they rub people the wrong way with how they celebrate their home run trots, the way they mouth, the way they argue with uh, umpires, the way they jaw, the way they celebrate. They're boisterous. They have a lot of swag, as the kids like to say. But here's the problem. If you're going to go out there and you're going to try to do your best Ric Flair impersonation, then you got to be the man and you got to beat the man to be the man. And they haven't proven that they can be the man. They have all the swag. What have they won? They won the SEC tournament. They won the SEC regular season championship. Okay, great. Did they get to Omaha? That's the goal. That's the goal if, look, for a program like the Louisiana Raging Cajuns or the Louisiana Tech Bulldogs, getting to a regional or super regional, that's a great, successful season. That's, that's the type of season that you that reporters that cover the, those teams write deep think pieces about in their local newspaper. But if you carry yourself as big bad Leroy Brown, the baddest man in the whole town, and you want to promote yourself as the best team in the country, then if you don't make it to Omaha, that's on you. And you have to deal with everything that comes with. And the talk of can Tennessee handle the pressure? Is Tennessee good enough? And credit Notre Dame. Notre Dame was in the Georgia Southern Regional, remember? Statesboro Regional. 
They were the two seed. A lot of folks felt that Notre Dame deserved to be a regional host, but they didn't get it. So they were the top two seed in the 16-seeded regional. Won that. And then goes over to Knoxville, Tennessee, and home of the Dreamsicle uniforms, and says, not a problem. And Notre Dame is in the College World Series. And Tennessee is at home. And once again, the last time the number one overall seed for NCAA baseball bracket won the national championship was 1999. That was the Miami Hurricanes. I don't know about you, but when something happens like that for more than 20 years, I'm pretty certain I don't want to be the number one seed. (laughs) I'm just saying that's something I'm not really trying to achieve. The other team that is in the field for the College World Series is another Cinderella team, another team that pulled off an upset, Oklahoma. The Sooners went on a run in the Big 12 tournament, and they were mentioned as a team that no one really wanted to face. And Florida found out about that. Oklahoma won the Gainesville Regional, and then they go up to Blacksburg, Virginia, home of Virginia Tech, Hokies, great season, number four national seed. And Boomer Sooner crushed their faces yesterday. And Oklahoma, who may be the team no one wants to face in the College World Series, they're that they're they're that team this year. They're in as well. Poll question of the day was, and is rather, which NCAA Super Regional Series upset is the most surprising? Once again, we had four national seeded teams all lose supers to non-national seats. Rarely does that happen, but it was an interesting weekend on the diamond for college baseball. Right now, leading the vote, 79% of you say Notre Dame over Tennessee. 15% say Ole Miss over Southern Miss. And 3% apiece say Arkansas over North Carolina and Oklahoma over Virginia Tech. I look at this and what stands out to me, it's so interesting, right? Baseball's such a funny game. Tennessee was the hottest team in the country. Won their conference tournament. They get bounced in the Super Regional round. Oklahoma had a struggle all season long. They catch fire in the conference tournament, earn a spot into a regional. They're in the College World Series. But Arkansas and Ole Miss were the opposite. Arkansas went 0 for 2 at the SEC tournament. Ole Miss didn't get out a single elimination. Yet here they both stand out of the SEC playing in Omaha. Texas A&M, Arkansas, Ole Miss, three SEC teams are in the field for the College World Series. A fourth could be coming with Auburn taking on Oregon State. We could have four teams out of the SEC playing in the College World Series and not a single one of them is LSU. Now, once again, transition season for the Tigers 
But if you're an LSU fan, you got to be a little, a little, <laughs> feeling a little way. They should have beaten Southern Miss. They should have won the regional. If they would have, they would have hosted the Super Regional against Ole Miss, and there's no telling what would have happened then. But life's not about what ifs, is it? It's a foundation year. They have to get better, and they'll have to improve moving forward. College baseball wasn't the only game in town over the weekend, obviously. Houston Astros, Justin Verlander picks up win number eight on the year as the Strohs avoid being swept by the Miami Marlins. Woof. A three-run home run by Jose Altuve in the eighth inning and a sack fly by Jordan Alvarez was the difference as they avoid the sweep win yesterday, 8-4. to four. Now, Verlander pitched well until he got to the seventh, then he gave up three earned runs. But he's still pitching at a phenomenal rate. The lineup... Bregman and Yuli both got on base at least twice yesterday. Alex Bregman and Yuli Gurriel. They have been struggling, batting well below where they should be batting. Both under 230, I do believe, for the season. Even after yesterday's game, where Bregman was able to get on the base pass three times, Yuli twice. Other guys are picking up the slack. Jordan Alvarez, Jeremy Pena, Jose Altuve, Michael Brantley Jr., They're picking up the slack, and maybe yesterday's game, which more importantly was a win. That's the most important thing that happened yesterday for the Shros. But maybe that could be a turning point, a launching pad, if you will, for Yuli Gurriel and Alex Bregman to get on track. Both have had flashes from time to time. Yuli had a really good weekend about three or four weeks ago, but he has struggled for the most part this season. Alex Bregman has struggled for the most part this season, well below their own expectations and what the team expects of them. Could yesterday's game, which was a win, where they both got on the base pass at least twice, could this be a catalyst, if you will, for them getting on track and finding their swing? Bregman looks a little bit more lost at the plate than Yuli does. Yuli just seems like, Bat speed's a little slow, but he's also just hitting balls right at guys. Sometimes that just happens. Once again, baseball's a long season, right? It's 162 games. Sometimes you just got to be patient. We got to take a timeout. When we return here on RP3 and company, golf. <laughs> LIV PGA Tour. They're beefing. They're throwing jabs at each other. With subtle messages and some of them not so subtle. I'll kind of break it all down for you. The silliness that's taken over the world of professional golf. That's next. And that hotline is still open. 337-706-0111. That's 337-706-0111. You're listening to the game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. And you're home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. P3 came to the station this morning to do only two things. Kick some ass and drink some beer. Looks like we're almost out of beer. Well, it's kind of early for the latter, isn't it? Maybe. Probably. Maybe just a root beer 
Pour some flavored water. Back to more kick-ass sports talk with RP3 and company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Oh, it's the game's birthday, and this is your invitation to party with us as we celebrate 10 years of being Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. Join us at Buffalo Wild Wings on Ambassador Caffrey on Wednesday, June the 22nd. There's going to be delicious wings. Oh, you know you love their wings. There's going to be amazing door prizes as well. And appearances from your favorite 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles personalities, including Crunch Time with Miguez and Mesh, who will be broadcasting live from the party. So come join us at B-Dubs on Wednesday, June the 22nd from 5 to 9 o'clock for the game's 10th birthday bash. It's going to be a good one. Let's talk a little professional golf while we have a few minutes here. Now, we can dissect and break down the tournament performances this past weekend. At the RPC Canadian Open, Rory McIlroy won it, was able to net his 21st victory as a professional golfer. While that was going on on Sunday, the day before, Charles Schwartzel won the LIV Tours inaugural event in London. Got like $4.5 million by doing so. It's a lot of money. Now, if you haven't been paying attention, but maybe you've been distracted by Super Regional Talk or the Astros, golf's in a bit of a weird spot right now. LIV is a new league that is formed. They're different from the PGA Tour. They only have three rounds. It's shotgun starts and guaranteed payouts, no cuts. And they're essentially buying as many players as they can. Phil Mickelson reportedly is getting $200 million in guaranteed money. Dustin Johnson, more than $100 million. Bryson DeChambeau, $100 million. And the list of guys that have switched over. Lots of them, some of them have name recognition, like Phil is the biggest name of the bunch. Bryson DeChambeau, Patrick Reed, both defected over the weekend on Friday and Saturday, respectively. They're looking to make their LIV debuts in the new tour's first stop here stateside, which will be in Oregon. That will be next month in July. So you got Phil Mickelson, you got Bryson DeChambeau, you got Patrick Reed, you got Dustin Johnson, you have Graham McDowell, Lee Westwood, Ian Poulter. You have some name recognition, and you have guys... Schwartzel, who's from South Africa. Guys that have won major championships. So, they, many of them decided to give up their PGA Tour membership. Then the PGA Tour commissioner, Monaghan, decided to come out with a very, very, I would say, energetic statement about saying that they were suspended from PGA Tour. They were no longer allowed to play on the PGA Tour. Okay. Well, well, they left. I'm just pointing it out. They, they left because they're going to get more guaranteed money. 
DJ DeChambeau, 100 mil, at least guaranteed, up to 150 by some reports. Phil, up to $200 million. And the way the LIV is structured, not only are these guys getting guaranteed money off the bat, generational wealth, in addition to the difference in formats that you have teams, that their shotgun starts, there are only three rounds, there's no cuts. The the last place golfer in this event over the weekend netted himself $120,000 for finishing last. That's guaranteed. Guaranteed. Winner netted over $4 million in purse earnings. So not only are these golfers getting guaranteed money, they're also going to be earning more money at these tournaments. Now, do these tournaments have the profile of the PGA Tour? Absolutely not. PGA Tour has great television deals. You can see all of their events. Right now, the LIV, you can watch them on their website or through their YouTube channel. They're not on network television. They're not on cable television. So... That's part of it. And there's now a schism in professional golf. The other part of this is that LIV is funded by the Saudi, by Saudi Arabia, which are known for having crimes against their own people, reporters coming up missing, being murdered, things of this nature. So, The narrative has been all these guys that are defecting the PGA Tour are going to take blood money from Saudi Arabia. We don't have time to go down that rabbit hole. I'd just like to point out that golfers and other professional athletes have gone and played in tournaments in Russia and China, including the Olympics, and those events make money for those countries, and those events are funded directly by those countries' governments, which do the same things. So I just... Going to throw that out there. Not going to get into an argument about Saudi Arabia blood money. But the interesting thing is still to come. The fact that someone decided to create this league, which is headed by Greg Norman, he's your face of the league, and Greg has said some uh, some things that a PR person would probably step in and say you shouldn't say. And he's done that the last couple of months. Rory McIlroy made uh, took a jab at Greg Norman by saying, you know, this went special, 21 more, one more than the other guy. The other guy is Greg Norman. He won 20 career wins. Justin Thomas brought it back up. So there's a group of guys, Spieth, Justin Thomas, Rory McIlroy, the young stars of the PGA Tour that have kind of come together. And they're taking shots and they're saying, you know, hey, when you make decisions based on money, just on money, you know, it doesn't work out. they're being very passive-aggressive with their disdain for their fellow tour members that have left the tour to go play for LIV. It's great. Lots of people are talking about golf. It's amazing. But the way the PGA Tour commissioner behaved yesterday, talking with Jim Nance during the RBC Canadian Open, came off as like a jilted girlfriend to me. it's, It's just a bad look. You take the high road, you keep it moving. You still got Roy, you still got Justin Thomas, you still got Jordan Spieth. 
You still got Sam Burns. You still got all these great young golfers. DeChambeau is one of the more polarizing guys on tour. Are you going to miss him? Patrick Reed pisses off everyone he encounters. Are you going to miss him? Phil is past his prime. I know he won the PGA Championship last year, but that's more of a blip than anything. And Graham McDowell, Lee Westwood, and you know Charles Schwartzel, these are guys that aren't moving the needle. They're former major champions, but they're not moving the needle. So it just comes off as just very petty by the PGA Tour making these statements and getting on there with Jim Nance and talking about, you know, betrayal and all this. It's like, really? Golf is a greedy game. It's an individual sport where guys are trying to win to get million-dollar paydays. And you're surprised that people say, guys are like, hey, time out. What? Wait, wait, no. You're going to give me $100 million to go play in less tournaments and I'm guaranteed to at least make $120,000 every tournament I go in, regardless of how I perform. I could shoot 12 over par for the tournament, and you're still going to pay me $120,000, and I still get to keep my $100 million guaranteed? And I only have to be take part in like eight or nine tournaments a year? Okie dokie. Like, people are surprised by this. Come on now. Have y'all been paying attention? But what I'm interested to see is what's going to happen this week. U.S. Opens this week. Remember this. The PGA Tour was created by Jack Nicklaus, Arnold Palmer, and a few others back in the day. I want to say 1968. And it removed itself from the PGA Tour of America, which had ran everything. Well, the PGA Tour says, hey, Interesting tidbit. The four majors are not run by the PGA Tour. The PGA Tour has no say-so on what happens at the U.S. Open, at the Masters, at the Open Championship, or the PGA Championship. They're not. Those are separate entities. So it'll be interesting to see what happens. USGA runs the U.S. Open. A lot of those guys that are playing, that just played in the LIV event, and some of the guys that defected over the weekend, they played in U.S. Opens. They've won U.S. Opens. And once you win it, you get a champion exception, sometimes for 10, 15, 20 years. Let's see what happens at the U.S. Open this week. Because if the PGA Tour can't convince the USGA, can't convince the... All England, you know, can't convince the Open Championship and the Masters and others to ban these guys from playing. Then what is there to lose for these guys? They're getting $100 million paydays, get to golf in eight tournaments for that tour. Oh, and they still get to play in the majors, which are the most watched and most important tournaments in professional golf. Let's see what happens. I can't wait. Got to take a timeout. When we return, Jeff Palermo, our buddy from Tiger Rag Radio, will join us talking all things LSU. Off-season questions this summer. Football, baseball, basketball. Jeff will answer them all for us. That's coming up next right here on The Game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, and your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. 
time to open up the vault for the games this day in sports history. June 13th, 1935. James J. Braddock beats Max Bayer in a 15-round decision to win the World Heavyweight title at Madison Square Garden. The 10-to-1 underdog's life story is later turned into the hit movie Cinderella Man, starring Russell Crowe. That was this day in sports history. We now return to the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. What is LSU going to do baseball-wise? Already got a couple players coming and going in the transfer portal. Football team still adding players as well. Even though it's the offseason, still plenty of activity and questions to be answered concerning LSU athletics. And to help shine a light on said things is the man who is the sports and news director for the Louisiana Radio Network, also co-host of Tiger Rag Radio, which you can listen to every Tuesday right here on the game. It's our good friend, Jeff Palermo. Jeff, good morning to you, brother. How are you, my friend? I'm doing well, Raymond. How about yourself? I'm doing great. First question, uh, when LSU sees three other teams from the SEC West going to the College World Series and possibly a fourth today, it doesn't make them feel any better about their early exit, does it? Well, but it also gives you an idea of just how difficult it was for them in the SEC this year. Um, you know, these were all really good teams, the three that got in there. I know Arkansas didn't host a regional. I know Ole Miss underperformed for much of the season. But on paper, there was a reason why these teams, especially Arkansas and Ole Miss, I mean, they were ranked in the top five uh, at a for a good portion of the season. There's a reason why uh, the experts predict them as high as they, they were expected to finish, and they got there, uh, even though – it's maybe not the route that many had expected. Uh, Texas A&M, uh, obviously they did not have the, uh, the preseason rankings that uh, the other two teams that I just mentioned. But when they came into Baton Rouge early on in the season, I think that was the opening weekend of uh, conference play when the uh, Aggies took two or three from LSU. You came away from that series saying, you know what, Texas A&M is going to be better, better than many people thought. Uh, they could be a, a real sleeper this year, and they, they have turned out to be. And that just shows you how difficult it is. Um, and I still look at it, even though LSU doesn't get to a Super Regionals, uh, Super Regional, and they come one game short of that, I still look at this as a, a successful first season for Jay Johnson, where he was able to lay the foundation of what he's trying to do with this program, and now we'll look to try to build on that. What's the first thing that he has to do to build on that, in your opinion, Jeff? Well, you got to get more starting pitching. And maybe they took a step in that direction with uh, the announcement that came down, I believe it was on Friday, where the uh, the Big East Pitcher of the Year from Creighton, Dylan Tabrake, he announced that he's coming to LSU. Now, Dylan is also draft eligible, so there's a possibility he never does end up on Baton Rouge's or on the Baton Rouge campus. But uh, this is a guy that's been not only the, the top pitcher in the Big East this past season, but really the last two years. He's been that good. I mean, at Creighton, the guy has a, a career ERA of 2.84, and he's racked up 230 strikeouts, had a 
115 strikeouts and 93 innings pitched this past season. So uh, there's no doubt that Jay Johnson needs some starting pitching. That's what's kind of held them. That's what really held them back this season, considering just how good and explosive that lineup is with professional baseball hitters in it. And so maybe they took a step in that direction. Again, we'll have to kind of wait and see how this all plays out. Major League Baseball draft this year, by the way, is in July. Uh, I mean, we've been so accustomed to it actually already taking place at this time of the year. But it's in July, so uh, still a ways to go to see exactly how LSU's roster will look in uh, 2023. Yeah, getting pitchers that are draft eligible and then never having them step foot on uh, campus is a, a tradition unlike any other for LSU baseball program, Jeff. You know, that, that yeah, is... But the, the, the fact that he has announced he's coming to LSU tells you that he's leaning in that direction and, and would like... And in this era of NIL now, Raymond, I think it's a lot easier to keep these guys instead of having them go to professional baseball and, you know, ride in the buses for a couple of years. I think they might actually get a better experience playing college baseball than uh, actually going through, you know, the full... What a minor league season's 150 games or whatever it may be. Well, you know, Gordon gets it done as well when it comes to that NIL stuff. But <laughs> yes, he does. So, he certainly does. So yeah, I'm, I'm sure I'm sure he can help out and take care of that, or someone will step up to the plate, so to speak. All right. So, how many players do we expect LSU to lose? We've already seen one enter the transfer portal. Not a big surprise there on who that was. But do we expect any other guys to leave? And what are some of the big losses, whether it's transfer portal or graduation? Well, I mean, I think uh, when you take a look at um, graduation, I, I mean, he, I mean, he starts with Jake Berry. I mean, you're not you're not getting him back. Uh, Kate Doty is probably gone as well. You mentioned Giovanni DiGiacomo has already announced that he's entering the transfer portal. I think Gavin Dugas has got a big decision to make. He can still come back for another season, but as emotional as he was after the final game of that Hattiesburg Regional, it he sounded like a guy that's probably on his way out the door. Uh, Eric Razelman is a guy that will certainly be uh, heading to the pro baseball. So is Paul Gervais. Uh, those were two of the, the better guys out of the bullpen for the LSU Tigers this past season. So I would think those two guys go. Uh, a guy like Drew Bianco, he still has um, a year to, uh, uh, to of eligibility, believe it or not. Maybe he finally takes that chance to play for his dad at Ole Miss. We'll see if that occurs. I think another guy that's kind of interesting, I mean, Jack Merrifield, you would hope maybe he's a guy that could come back uh, next season. Um, you know, obviously a really talented uh, defensive third baseman. And does he look to maybe go somewhere else? Uh, I think he's one of those guys that's probably looking to see how the uh, the roster shakes out. And, of course, Mikhail Hilliard has exhausted – all of his eligibility at this point. And um, Hilliard was certainly a guy that, uh, you know, his freshman season last year and this year, I mean, he was a, a big part of those teams and, and, and their successes. And a guy that was, uh, frankly, really steady and a guy that, that, that kind of stepped up for him when no one else really stepped up for him, especially as far as a, a weekend starter. So he'll certainly be a loss, but you got to figure that LSU's got to be a destination spot for a lot of these kids that are in the transfer portal. Uh, I mean, we we all know about um, you know playing in, in in front of the fans here at LSU, and Jay Johnson looks like he's got something going, and 
you know, Jacob Berry, he's going to be a, a top 10 pick. And I think there's going to be a lot of hitters. They're going to recognize just, uh, they'll recognize that. And, and frankly, LSU's had its fair share of top 10 picks here lately. So, uh, I, I would think, uh, you know, LSU certainly got to add. And then don't forget, you got a, a number one recruiting class that's coming in. And, you know, we had Ben McDonald on uh, Tiger Rag Radio last Tuesday, and he talked about uh, speaking to a, a scout that even if half of these guys decide not to come to LSU, it's still a really good class. So uh, the future only looks bright for the LSU baseball program. I agree with you. Foundation season. They got to figure out the pitching. Jay knows how to get these guys to hit. I don't think that's going to be that much of an issue with recruiting and hitting the transfer portal, whatever they need to do, uh, Jeff. But pitching, he's got to figure out pitching. That's not his forte. So they got to figure out how to fix that staff for next year and beyond. Let's switch gears a little bit and talk about the football program. You know, last week they added the the McNeese transfer as another body. They still have a couple of spots left. What are you hearing and what are you anticipating Brian Kelly to do with those uh, few final roster spots, so to speak? Well, I think you're looking for guys just to kind of provide a little depth at this point. I mean, there's not there's not a Joe Burrow just still out there, right? You know, you, we go back to you know, the, the courtship for Joe Burrow and when he decided to finally come to LSU, it was, you know, after spring football, it was an early spring and, uh, you know, the, or actually after spring football, early summer or so. Um, there's not that kind of guy out there. There's not, um, you know, just some some stud players. So I think you're still kind of looking at uh, – it's almost like in the NFL, you know, the, the, the 52 man, the 51st man on your roster, the 50th guy, just a guy that you know who can be out there, uh, provide a little depth. Uh, when you're doing reps in, in position breakdowns, uh, you're not, you know, just <laughs> – you're not having your starters go through all the reps. You at least got another guy out there to take them. So I think that's kind of where you're looking at at this point is just trying to kind of fill things out uh, here a little bit. And you're probably monitoring injuries. You're getting an idea of you know who's going to be ready when August comes around and, and so forth and who's developing. I'm sure Brian Kelly's hearing a lot from the strength and conditioning staff as uh, they go through that. So, I think you're looking. I'm not expecting too many too many big names. To me, uh, you know, obviously the focus at this point, I think, for the coaching staff when it comes to adding talent to the roster is looking ahead to the 2023 recruiting class and trying to nail down as many guys uh, for the 2023 recruiting class instead of really finishing out what would be the 2022 roster. We're talking with Jeff Palermo of the Louisiana Radio Network. Also co-host of Tiger Rag Radio. What's still the big question mark for you for this LSU football team? Great job with the transfer portal. Great job with recruiting, putting together a roster that was decimated by the last regime. But what's the big question mark for you once they report for fall camp, Jeff? Well, I think it still starts with the offensive line. Um, it, it seems like it's headed in a better direction. It seems like there's more depth there, but you're – you're replacing pretty much everyone off of that starting O-line from a season ago, which eh, maybe might not be the worst thing in the world anyways, considering how that O-line never really, really never was able to connect and become a, a, a dominant group. So I don't think that's uh, – I still think that's the issue. you still got to figure out who's going to be your, your five guys there. 
Um, you know, I'm still worried about the defensive secondary. I mean, do they have enough guys back there? You know, what if they start suffering some injuries? And again, there's another position group where you got completely, you know, four or five new guys as far as the starters, except for Jay Ward returning. So that unit's going to look remarkably different uh, again next season. So that's going to take some time. That's going to take time to build that chemistry among those those specific groups. And to me, those um, will go into the the 2022 season as as big question marks. Jeff, it's never a question mark knowing what you're going to be bringing on to the show every week, brother. Appreciate your time. As always, enjoy your week and enjoy Tiger Rag Radio, my friend. No problem, man. Looking forward to uh, Tiger Rag Radio tomorrow night, obviously previewing the College World Series. We'll talk some football scheduling as well. Verge Osbury is set to join us, and uh, we'll get into many other topics as well, Raymond. Appreciate your time, bud. All right, man. You have a good one. We got to take a timeout. Ran a little late there with Jeff, but it was still good quality stuff. Wrap up hour number two. That's next right here on the game. 103-1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. And you're home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Download the free The Game mobile app for Android and Apple devices. No matter where you are in the country, you can listen to the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Poll question of the day. Which NCAA Super Regional Series upset was the most surprising? We had four of them over the weekend. Four non-national seeds. Those are teams that had to go on the road during the regional round and win those regionals. Pulled off upsets, winning Super Regionals. Right now, 80% of you running away with it say Notre Dame taking down the top seed in the bracket, Tennessee in Knoxville, was the biggest upset of the weekend. 14% of you say Ole Miss over Southern Miss. And 5% of you say Arkansas over North Carolina. And 2% say Oklahoma over Virginia Tech. Keep those votes coming on our poll question of the day. Keep those comments coming. Leave them on Facebook and Twitter. Hour number two has come to a close, but not to worry. Hour number three is right around the bend. And we're going to kick it off with Scott Rabelais, the award-winning columnist from The Advocate. He's also their lead golf writer. He's going to give us his insight on the PGA Tour LIV, Dust Up, and also talk a little Louisiana Sports Hall of Fame with Rab that's coming up next. Right here on the game, 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, and you're home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette, here is the producer extraordinaire, Hannah Five Names, and your big, bald, beautiful host, Raymond Parts III, better known as RP3. Hour number three has arrived. Good morning to you. 8.03 on this lovely Monday, June the 13th morning. 
here in Acadiana and in Lake Charles. I'm your host, the big, bald, and beautiful one, Raymond Parsha III, better known as RP3. I'm joined inside the studio by the intern extraordinaire, Daryl, and producer extraordinaire, Hannah Five Names. Two hours in the books. It's been very good. Borderline great. It's about to become legendary. Coming up half an hour from right now, Ross Jackson from the Locked on Saints podcast is going to join us. Breaking down everything heading into minicamp for the Saints. What are the big questions left to be unanswered? We still don't know when training camp is actually going to begin. Sometime in July, we do know that. But what are the big unanswered questions right now for the black and gold? Ross will break it down for us half an hour from right now. Don't forget to vote on our poll question of the day. It was a weekend of surprises for NCAA Super Regionals. I spoke about it last week. I told you. I said, watch out for upset specials in Chapel Hill. Arkansas had to go on the road to win their regional. Watch out. They beat North Carolina to punch their ticket to the College World Series. Oklahoma, a team no one wants to face, went up to Blacksburg, took out the number four seed, Vitek, Oklahoma's in the College World Series. Ole Miss won the Battle of Mississippi. And they're headed to the College World Series. <laughs> Two months ago, it looked like they were going to fire their coach. Funny how baseball works. Of course, Tennessee was the big story of the weekend as the volunteers and their braggadocious nature, or as the kids say, they got swag. That didn't help them beat Notre Dame as the Fighting Irish who also began the regional play as a road team, they win the Supers, and they're headed to Omaha as well. Keep voting on that. What was the biggest surprise to you from this weekend? Leave your comments on Facebook and Twitter. But right now, it's time for us to welcome on one of the best columnists in the state, maybe the best columnist in the state. He's the award-winning man from The Advocate. He covers golf and so much more. It's our good friend, Scott Rabelais, joins us now. Rabs, good morning to you, brother. How are you, my friend? I'm, I'm fine. Uh, maybe the best columnist in the state. You know, that, that, that's, that's true. Who can say? Who can say? You guys have been on for two hours already? Yeah, yeah, yeah bud. <laughs> Man. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I know. I know. I, I'm, a, I'm a night person. Being a, being a sports writer and, and having covered a lot of the games at night and stuff, and like, I, I I can't write anything right now. You want some written at 1130 tonight? Sure. But I couldn't write anything right now. But, uh, more power to you guys for, for being up and, and so enthusiastic. Well, and on a Monday, too. Well, you know? Rabs, let me tell you, I, I'm a night person. I've been doing this now for three years, and I still <laughs> I still struggle to get going in the mornings, bud. So, yeah, uh, when that alarm goes off at 430, it's, uh, it's, it's, uh, it's a little. Ooh, yeah, there you go. That, that, that's the exact reaction you should have. All right, so I wanna wanted to bring you on because I think you can give great perspective about what's going on here with the schism in the world of golf, all right, with LIV, PGA Tour. For those who aren't haven't been paying attention, essentially break it down to us. Give us the 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 version for dummies, so to speak, on what's happening here with these guys departing the PGA Tour and being part of this new startup league that's trying to challenge the PGA Tour. Yeah, it, it's it's a lot to get your arms around, but uh, I'll I'll try to I'll try to be brief. Uh, 
course, there are a lot of golf tours in in the world. There is the PGA Tour, there's the DP Tour, which used to be the European Tour. There's an Asian Tour. There's many tours, you know. Anyway, but the and, and they all get along pretty much in, in harmony. But this new LIV Golf Tour uh, is trying to be a big disruptor in, in the world of sports. It's like like the AFL was back in the 1960s. It's like the ABA was back in the 1970s or the USFL in, in the 80s. They're trying to poach the, the, the best talent, you know, limited fields, uh, guaranteed prize money. Last place gets $120,000. So I, I think you had to finish like 19th in the Canadian Open to finish, get $120,000 this week. Um, uh, shotgun starts and all this stuff. And so they're uh, they're trying to poach some of these best players, and uh, and so yeah, some of the best players have gone over there. Dustin Johnson, uh, Bryson DeChambeau is going to play in the next tournament, uh, in, which is going to be in Oregon. They played in London this past week. Uh, Charles Schwartzel, who won the Masters, won it. Patrick Reed is going to go over there, which probably pleases a lot of golf fans, and they want to see him as much because uh, he's so popular uh, with with uh, so many golf fans. Um, uh, Phil Mickelson, of course, and so the, you're like, well, what's the big deal? Golfers, uh, you know, pay. You know, they're they're independent contractors, basically. They 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 play where they want. They they don't play if they don't want. Uh, it, it's it's up to them. They pay their expenses. Well, the 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 big sticking point here is that the LIV Golf Tour is 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 totally bankrolled, and I mean totally, by this uh, fund. That's controlled by the Saudi Arabian government. And again, you say, what's the big deal? So the Saudis are basically our allies. They supply a lot of oil. They're a stabilizing force, if you can call it that, in in the, in the Middle East politically. I don't want to get into too much politics here. But the Saudis are also uh, accused of lots of human rights violations against uh, uh, the LGBTQ community, against women. Of course, they they uh, the, our government believes they they chopped up Jamal Khashoggi, a, a dissident. Journalist uh, who was writing for the Washington Post uh, uh, four years ago uh, because of his criticisms of the, their government. So basically, a lot of people feel what the Saudis are trying to do is sports washing, which is trying to make themselves look better on the world stage by sponsoring golf. They've also sponsored Formula One racing. They've also sponsored. Uh, they also own a, um, a Premier League soccer team with this money. So it's uh, it's like it's not just. Where you know what's going on, it's where the money's coming from, and the PGA Tour has banned these players from playing in their events. Now they can play in the U.S. Open this week because the USGA controls the U.S. Open. That's where it gets very confusing because the four majors are controlled by four different organizations. That's correct. But going forward, going forward, is that going to change? You know, we, we don't know, but I mean, it, it, it very well could. So there's a huge. It's a civil war in golf. I mean, there's no other way to put it. This is a civil war in golf. More players are going to go. You would think. A lot of players have pledged their um, allegiance to the PGA Tour, but those players included Dustin Johnson and Bryson DeChambeau at one point. So who knows who's really going to stay and who's, who's going to go. This is all headed to court, and, and, and it's going to be decided that, you know, that way if the PGA Tour can, can do what it wants or if the players have total autonomy. Yay! Lawyers! That's always fun when they get involved. So, <laughs> so. <laughs> Oh, yes. Uh, but Brad, you know, you, you mentioned like the old USFL and how they were able to give bigger contracts and poach a lot of that collegiate talent 
and or convince them to come to them instead of going to the NFL. But this also kind of reminds me what happened with the Indy Racing League and the split up with them in CART, remember, in the early 90s. Very much, very much so. Right. Yeah. It, it feels more like that to me in, 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 in that regard. Look, we had a great first weekend, right? A lot of publicity for LIV, whether it was negative or positive. Now, they don't have TV deals. You have to watch it on YouTube or on their website. But still, a lot of activity, a lot of talk about it. On the same hand, PGA Tour, Rory McIlroy wins it. And, you know, and you got to see him and Justin Thomas and some of the other bigger stars compete. Can both of these leagues, if you will, exist and thrive separate of one one another? Well, uh, yeah, theoretically, yes, they, they could. You know, you know, but uh, to be a, to be a member in good standing on the PGA Tour to keep your card, you have to play a minimum of fifteen tournaments. That includes regulatory events like the Zurich Classic or the Canadian Open this week. That includes the majors like the Masters and the U.S. Open. Uh, so you have to play fifteen tournaments. The LIV Golf Tour uh, has eight tournaments this year. This was the first one right outside of London. The next one is next month in in uh, in, in Oregon. Uh, they're gonna they're gonna play at least four four turn. They're gonna play a tournament in Chicago. They're gonna play one of Trump's courses in New Jersey. They're gonna play a couple of the places around the world. You, you figure they're gonna have more more tournaments. The players the players would like to play in. You know, the, these guys who've gone to the LIV Golf would like to take the guaranteed money. And and, and uh, I didn't mention they they are supposedly getting these huge guarantees. Supposedly they gave Dustin Johnson 125 million just to come play. They, they gave Phil Nicholson 200 million just to come play. Bryson DeChambeau getting 100 million just to come play. So uh, they want to be able to pick and choose the, 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 these tournaments to play. Well, this is they're not going to end up playing very many tournaments on the PG Tour. You can forget about ever seeing one of these guys come to the Zurich Classic probably because they're really like you know it might be a, there might be a live golf tournament there. The PGA Tour has a rule that uh, you can't play. You're not allowed to. You know, go and play in a tournament competing with another one of their tournaments domestically. Now, this this tournament is in London, and that's typically allowed. But because of the nature of the whole thing, the PGA Tour sees what's coming. They they said you can't play. And of course, the, uh, at least 17 PGA Tour pros went to play anyway. Uh, and it's double it's double secret probation if you go play in this tournament in Oregon. That's going to come up you know the, the next time. So it's um, it, they could coexist, but it's going to really impact the PGA Tour in terms of, you know, uh, the fact that, you know, they're not going to want to play 10 tournaments on the PGA Tour. They're not going to want to play eight or maybe it comes 12 live golf tournaments and 15 PGA Tour events. These guys, the big name players typically play in the low 20s, you know, anyway. So it's going to be, that's that's going to be a big, uh, a big schism. It's going to come down to, to what the majors uh, decide to do, I would think. Let's turn our attention then to the U.S. Open because USGA is going to clear the way for these guys to compete in it. And not to mention, we have a couple of guys on the LIV tour that have won the Open. Is the worst-case scenario, the doomsday scenario for Monaghan and the PGA Tours to have one of these guys win this week's U.S. Open? I mean, that's the doomsday scenario for them, right? Yeah, I mean, it would, it would, it would, it would kind of illustrate the point that the live golf people and, and, and these players are trying to make is that like, Hey, you can have your cake and eat it too. You can, you can succeed. You can play in our tournaments but with no pressure, you know, guaranteed money and all this stuff. And then you can go play in, in the majors. 
um, you know, the, you know, the big, the big four. And again, the, the problem for the, the PGA, the PGA tour could say you're banned from our tournaments. You can't come play in the Zurich classic. You can't go play. Phil could play on the, the champions tour. Can't, can't do that. Uh, you can't go play on the corn Ferry tour, like the tournament that's in Lafayette uh, every year. If you, if you so wanted to, can't do that. Um, the, the majors all controlled by their are controlled are controlled by their outside entities. The masters, Augusta National Golf Club runs the Masters. The U.S. Open is the USGA. The British Open is the Royal and Ancient, and the PGA is the PGA of America, which is the most clo- which is the most confusing one because you have the PGA Tour and the PGA of America. Uh, the U.S. Open had decided to let these players play because they said, "Look, this came up since we established our criteria. Um, it, we don't think it would be right to just uh, you know uh, keep them out." And we're not saying what we're going to do in 2023. But we're saying this is what we're doing now, and I think I think that's fair. I, I, as much as I just like the Live Golf Tour, I think that's fair. The Royal and Ancient uh, will probably say the same thing for the British Open next month, but then it's going to come around next year, uh, and and it's going to be the you know what, what it's basically going to be. What does the Masters decide to do? Are they going to keep some of these guys with green jackets who want uh, you know who have them out of the tournament? VJH, Sergio, Charles Schwartzel, Patrick Reed, and probably going to be others, or do they? Uh, do they uh, decide to let them play? It's going to, you know, considering their close allegiance to the PGA Tour, it's going to be very interesting. But right, yeah, right now they're going to play. Now the PGA Tour just had their real quickly. They had their best scenario, I think, as a response to the Live Golf Tour this week at the Canadian Open. Rory McIlroy, very popular player, one of the best players in the world, won the tournament. There were throngs of people in, in the fairway. I mean, they couldn't have picked somebody better. And Rory, Rory's been very outspoken in his support of the PGA Tour and against Live Golf. So. Um, it's uh, it's it couldn't have been better for that way for the PGA Tour. And meanwhile, Live Golf was kind of in the shadows a little bit, but obviously gaining more attention. Well, Scott, I, I got to ask you this because I, I find this interesting, and no one's really kind of asked or, or spoke on it yet. I understand the criticism of the tour because it's being backed by Saudi Arabia. We don't want to get too political here, okay? And I get that, but golfers and other folks take part in Olympics that are held in China or other events that are held in Russia. And and, and it's been that way for 10 years, 20 years. And those countries have crimes against their own people, right? So the, 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 the stuff going on in Saudi Arabia is not just going on in Saudi Arabia. It's going on in other countries as well. Is there a level of hypocrisy here if people are condemning this going on with Saudi Arabia, but yet weren't outspoken about Olympic Games being held in Russia where they benefit greatly financially from the games being held there and American and American golfers taking part in it. Look, it's 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 a good point. And and it's it's that's what makes this such a complicated situation. And you can say Greg Norman, who is, you know, running the Live Golf Tour uh, who Rory McIlroy took a shot at saying, hey, I was happy to win my 21st tournament yeah. and, and one more than somebody else. It's so petty. Say, so, petty. Was, so petty. So petty. I was petty, so, but it was, it was delicious. It yeah. really, it really yeah, it was. Is. Uh, uh, you, you know, Greg Norman said, every country has its cross to bear. And it's true. And like, you know, I, I, I love this country. I, I, I was born and raised here, and, I, and this is this is my home. But it's not, it's not perfect. We obviously have some, a lot of issues that we're, that we're working on in our country, too. But it's... Um, it's just, yeah, the, the the whole and the the fact that the Winter Olympics was just in Beijing, you know, is is, is uh, you know, uh, the, the, there were some people that wanted the the IOC to to move the games 
from Beijing. And of course, this is a logistically impossible thing to do, you know, <laughs> at kind of the last minute. It, it, it's difficult. And you can point to those those kinds of things. But this is, yeah, I guess I guess it's just taking it on a case-by-case basis, right? And the case-by-case basis is the Saudis have done so, have got so many reprehensible things on their plate. And, and look, they're only doing this, to try, like the Chinese hosted the Olympics, true, but they're only doing this to try to enhance their reputation on the world stage and get people to, to come and do, do, do business with them. Correct. They, uh, they, they, they are not hoping to make money on this. How, how, can, how can you <laughs> when you're giving away at least just to, just to fill DJ and Bryson, you're giving away – uh, four hundred and twenty-five million dollars. Yeah, yeah, this has cost them at least half a billion dollars already. At least, yeah, probably closer to a billion. But they've got six hundred billion in this fund. That yeah, okay, that that they're uh, that they're bankrolling this from. So um, it's just it's just so and, and it's fracturing golf. You know, they're talking about there's all this happy BS. You know, from the live golf people about growing the game. This is not growing the game. This is fracturing the game, as you said, very much in the way that open wheel racing was fractured in the 90s with CART and, and IndyCar League. Absolutely, brother. Well said by and you, my friend. And it still hadn't recovered. I mean, it's just recovering now. It's yeah, but it's, it's still not what it was before before then, especially in the national uh, consciousness. All right, bud, I need to ask you one question about the Louisiana Sports Hall of Fame. You're a voter like I am. Uh, you're passionate about it. Uh, tell me a little bit about Susan Jackson. She's going to be our first LSU gymnast. Uh, competitor, obviously D.D. Bro is in the hall, but first gymnast mm-hmm. that's going to be enshrined in the Louisiana Sports Hall of Fame. How significant of a deal is this uh, that we're putting Susan in? Well, it, it's it's a, a big deal. She's a great first person from from LSU to go in, in the Hall of Fame. She's a three-time national champion. She's the only LSU gymnast to date to win the all, individual all-around title. Um she uh, she she won the, the the Honda Award. She won the AAI Award, which is like the Heisman uh, of gymnastics uh, awards. She she helped elevate along with Ashley Clark Kearney Thigpen, um, who's LSU's all-time winningest gymnast. Uh, they really helped elevate the LSU program in the late aughts, <laughs> the the, uh, the 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 decade in the zero the first decade of the 2000s to to really elevate gym, gymnastics. And lift LSU to where they where they are as a program now, and uh, she she's a very deserving person to go in the Hall of Fame for sure. Rab, appreciate your time as always, brother. Can't wait for us to uh, catch up in person and have uh, lengthier discussions about uh, what's going on in the world of golf. It's fascinating, just from a bystander's point of view. It's absolutely no fascinating uh, what's going on, brother. Appreciate your time as always. Keep up the tremendous work that you're doing, and uh, go ahead and go back to bed, bud. That's right. Appreciate it. That's Scott Rabelais, the award-winning columnist, and in my opinion, one of the two best columnists our state produces. The other one is, in my humble opinion, Teddy Allen, who's going into the Louisiana Sports Hall of Fame this summer as well. Got to take a timeout. Come back. We'll update the poll question of the day. Take your phone calls. Game hotline will be open. 337-706-0111. That's 337-706-0111. You're listening to RP3 and Company right here on the game, 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, and your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. 
Great news, my sports-loving friend. No more aimlessly searching for sports talk love by swiping left or right. That's because you've already found the perfect match. For sports talk love, that is... Now, back to the only lover you'll ever need. The game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Trails putting on a free all-day event this coming Saturday at Cafe 20.3 at 1500 General Mouton. Look, in addition to the free paddling, there's also going to be a party featuring live music to help out the Mile Zero heroes by raising awareness and funds to build a new Teepfer Park and boat launch at Mile Zero on the Vermilion River. Donations and sponsorships are welcomed. And Trail is going to match up to $20,000 in donations. Once again, Trail is going to match up to $20,000 in donations to be able to build this new teat fur park and boat launch at mile zero along the Vermilion River. So you can go paddle, have a great time, get some exercise, enjoy nature, and there's also a party involved, what's not to like. For more information, go visit www.com latrail.org. Once again, for more information about the latest trail event, which will be this Saturday, visit www.latrail.org. Poll question of the day. What was the biggest surprise for you from the NCAA Super Regional Weekend? Four teams as lower seeds came up and punched their tickets to Omaha for the College World Series. Notre Dame took down Tennessee. Arkansas beat North Carolina. Oklahoma beat Vitek and Ole Miss took down Southern Miss. Right now, running away with it. 80% of the vote is Notre Dame over Tennessee. 12% say Ole Miss over Southern Miss. And 4% apiece goes to Arkansas over UNC and OU over Vitek. Keep those votes coming on our poll question of the day. Leave your comments on Facebook and Twitter, and we'll update it before we wrap up today's show. Right now, though, let's head out to the hotline. Welcome on Brent to the show. Brent, happy Monday morning to you, bud. What's on your mind? Hey, to you, man. I just uh, I got to make a comment. I, I got to correct you again. The Astros series starts tonight against the Rangers. You, you, you might as well start calling me the Astros fan because when you mess up, I'm going to catch you. Well, I appreciate you doing that live on there, bud. <laughs> and I want to ask you a question about the shift in baseball. All whenever right. It comes down to be a major league baseball player. He should be able to hit the ball wherever he wants. Why do they want to blame the shift on people that all of a sudden is hurting their hitting average? What do well, you think about that? Well, the problem is with, with the shift is that it was never utilized. And you're talking about two generations of guys that never had to deal with it, right? So they're conditioned from the time they're through Little League up through travel ball to high school to the minors to the big leagues. They never had to deal with it. And so they've been conditioned themselves for 15 years as hitters to not have to deal with the shift. Do I think the shift is silly? Yeah, I kind of do. I think it's a gimmick. But if they're allowed to do it, Brent, then you have to make the adjustment, right? That's how it works. It's just like when teams started going with the approach of, okay, we're going to use more middle relievers and just have a guy throw five innings. 
and we're going to use more of our bullpen to win games, you have to make that adjustment. It's just, it's just what you have to do. And for the guys complaining about it, well, they just got to step up and learn how to hit against the shift. It's that simple. One more quick comment about that. If they do do something about it in the majors, what do you think they're going to do about it when they do it in college and everything else? They're going to make rules all the way down the line, all the way to Little League? I think I think so. Those things tend to have a trickle-down effect, right? It, 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 it just does. Now, I don't see it as much at the lower leagues, Brent, you know, when it comes to travel ball or high school. I don't see it as much as I do in the big leagues and in higher minor league baseball. But – yeah, like it's gonna. It's just like anything else. Once someone figures it out, how many times have we seen they do a shift and someone just hits a slow dribbler that would have would really be fielded by the shortstop, but the shortstop's not there and it becomes a single, right? So eventually, you're gonna see teams stop using the shift because it's gonna backfire against them too. I'll see that. I do see that coming. All right, man. Y'all have a good day. Thank you. Thank you, brother. Appreciate the phone call. Shout out to Brent. My man's keeping me on top. Man is keeping us on top of our game when it comes to Houston Astros baseball. Shout out to Brent. Hey, we do something wrong. I need to know about it. I ain't mad about it. Appreciate Brent. Thanks for listening, bud. We got to take a time out. When we return, we're going to talk New Orleans Saints football with Ross Jackson. He's the man behind the Locked on Saints podcast. What are the big question marks for him? I have my own about the Saints heading into minicamp and then obviously training camp next month. But what are his? And what are some of the things that the Saints still need to address? Maybe even free agency. Quan Alexander. Maybe another running back. We'll ask Ross all about that. That'll be coming up next right here on the game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, and your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Houdan is ready for Saints talk. The give to Camara. Breaks through, spins at the two, into the end zone. Touchdown! Time to talk Saints with the big easy blitz here on RP3 and Company. Ross. Good morning, my friend. How are you, brother? Hey, good morning, buddy. I am doing just fine. Great. Glad to be here with you. How are you holding up? I'm doing great, man. I'm doing great. So, mini camp is right around the corner. We still don't know when training camp is officially going to start, but we speculate July, correct? Yeah, end of July, usually. Last year started around July 29th, the last Thursday of the month. Okay. So we're looking at the end of the July for training camp, but mini camp is going to be right around the corner. And look, you don't usually get a lot from mini camp, but what are some of the things that you're looking for when everyone reports for mini camp? Yeah, I think the big things that you're really looking for is to just kind of see, you know, the veterans that are present and how those veterans, um, you know, how the work of the rookies gets impacted by the veterans that are present, right? You've seen a lot of, Veterans not present for the New Orleans Saints OTAs so far this earlier this season and so earlier this month rather, and with that you end up seeing a lot more work for some of the younger guys, the undrafted free agents, the rookies, which is great because those are the guys that really need kind of the head start, the new players that are learning the playbook and all that. So it's been great to have those OTAs back this season for them. But now as you get into mandatory mini camps, you'll have more of the veterans there, so you get to see opportunities of 
rookies going up against head-to-head with veterans. You'll get to see rookies learning from veterans, and you get to see kind of the new players like a Tyron Matthew, for instance, working with the veterans as opposed to just working on coaching up and kind of mentoring the younger guys. So it's a lot of the dynamics that you'll get to see. You'll get to see a little bit more of the measure of where the rookies are. You see a lot of guys that are standing out right now you know, throughout many, excuse me, throughout OTAs, does that dull down now that the veterans are, you know, lining up across from them? So those are some of the things that you're going to, you know, keep an eye out on as well as attendance and then to see who all is participating over that three-day period. All right, let's go by position groups that I'm fascinated by. And running back tops the list for me. We don't know about Alvin Kamara's suspension, if there is going to be one, when it's going to happen. I mean, his court case could be, kick down the road further in the year or even to next year. Mm -hmm. So we have no idea when what's going to happen there. How much left in the tank does Mark Ingram have? I know they're high on the kid from Baylor, but do they need another running back? My question to you, Ross, is do they need to sign another running back for training camp? Yeah, I think it's worth looking at them, and, and I think that they will. I mean, you know, you look at what the New Orleans Saints have done year in and year out between guys, you know, like Mike Gillisley and Shane Vereen a few years ago and all that. They've always brought in more veteran running backs once training camp got started. So I wouldn't be surprised to see that. I mean, we saw last year guys like Devontae Freeman even getting signed from the rival Atlanta Falcons. He's still out on the market. Latavius Murray, somebody the Saints are familiar with, he's also still out on the market at the moment. So I think there's absolutely opportunities to do that, and I think that they will. You know, they tend to get a look at a lot of veteran linebackers. They tend to get a look at a lot of veteran running backs, and sometimes that's about looking to see if there's a player that can fit in right now. In other cases, that's about getting an early look at a player just in case there's an injury at the position during the season, and they already kind of have like a little bit of a workup done on a particular player that they may really like but didn't have room for at the beginning of the season but then can turn to after the injury. So I really wouldn't be surprised to see the Saints get a look at more uh, running backs that are left out on the market. And there are still some of those veteran guys, and, and again, even guys they have familiarity with now, that they could potentially turn to during that time. But I do think that they need to you know, get a look at another. They clearly feel the same way. I mean, they took a look at uh, Sony Michelle and reportedly tried to sign him. And so I think that you know that tells you a good bit. You know, you can look at Abram Smith to maybe be that guy that surprises the young kid out of Baylor who had over 1,600 rushing yards and 12 touchdowns last year in his only actual collegiate year that he spent at running back. You can hope that he develops into an NFL running back, but you can't put a lot of money on that, and you can't sit around and wait for that to happen. So I wouldn't be surprised to see them get a, you know more looks at that position, especially with the sort of daunting un, you know uncertainty of Alvin Kamara's situation going into the season. Let's go to tight end uh Adam Troutman has not had a great start to his career but none of the guys from that draft class which I call the COVID class for the Saints they've all struggled to adapt to the NFL I think the lack of training camp rookie mini camp and preseason that year mm-hmm. hurt all of their development and that includes Cesar Ruiz my question to you though Ross is I know they're going to move Taysom Hill to tight end but does that mean that Taysom's going to get the majority of the reps at tight end, or do they still believe in Adam Troutman? I think that Adam Troutman would still get more reps. I mean, you're not going to put Taysom Hill out there as a blocker, right? And so I think that, you know, when you look at the tight end position, what's going to get you the most snaps and what's going to get you the opportunity to be on the field most is your ability to not only catch passes, but also to be able to block, and especially considering the way that the Saints utilize that position, particularly their focus on a true why, which is what Adam Troutman was drafted to do. I, I think, you know, there's there's sort of this expectation that Adam Troutman was going to come in and be this big-time pass catcher because that's what he was in Dayton. 
But, you know, if you look back at draft night and move, moving forward, their, their intent for him was to be an inline true wide tight end. And so that's why his focus was very much on blocking as well as what you mentioned, like coming into that season, there was no ramp up. There was no, you just kind of went into training camp and then you went into the season and that's all that they really had going. So, you know, his focus throughout that entire rookie year was how do I improve as a blocker? And I think that he improved as a blocker all throughout his rookie season. He took a little bit of a step back in that area of the game in 2021 and then started to come on a little bit as a pass catcher, but then all of a sudden had the injury. I believe it was during the Tampa Bay game when he started to really get comfortable there. And then after that, it sort of, you know, started to teeter and fall off for him a little bit as he, along with, you know, 50 some odd other players throughout the entire, you know, season ended up being starters that year. And so I think that coming into 2022, what you're looking for from Adam Troutman is that he'll very likely be the guy to, at least at this time, and we'll see how this all plays out. But at this moment, I would project him to be the tight end that gets the most snaps in 2022, simply because you can put him out both in run situations and in passing situations. That's another position that maybe, you know, looking at another veteran along with Nick Vanette could potentially be uh, beneficial, but there's also a lot of noise around the Pittsburgh undrafted free agent, Lucas Kroll, who'd be somebody to watch to get into the mix along with Juwan Johnson in that position as well. So it could be a, a hodgepodge, right? It, it's going to be, it's going to be probably tied in by committee. Is that going to be uh, safe to say as it stands right now or no? Mm-hmm. Yeah, we kind of look at the, you know, Benjamin Watson, Josh Hill approach from okay. years ago to where, you know, you see a lot of 12 personnel, which is things like to run 12 personnel, but then you see different styles of tight end that are being rolled out in different down and distance situations, different uh, game situations, different situational play calls and things like that to where maybe you see Taysom Hill play more of a Josh Hill-like H-back role to where sometimes he's in the backfield, sometimes he's in line, sometimes he's in the slot, sometimes he's out wide. Whereas you see Nick Van Etten and Adam Trotman being more, you know, inline blockers. And then Juwan Johnson, when he was out on the field last year, they passed 74% of the time. So you know what he's doing out on the field. So I think that that maybe is the makeup a little bit with a guy like Lucas Kroll, who maybe comes on and off the practice squad every now and then to maybe mix and match some matchups, depending upon what that looks like. So that's the way that I would look at it is maybe hearkening back to like Michael Hoomanow and Nui, Josh Hill, uh, Benjamin Watson, sort of that little you know, uh, kind of combination of how do we get these guys out on the field to uh, maximize the talent, the 11 players that are out there. Talking with Ross Jackson, the man behind the Locked on Saints podcast. He joins us here on RP3 and company for the Big Easy Blitz. We know who the starters are going to be across the offensive line, or do we, Ross? Because I know there's been a lot of talk about (laughs) Ruiz, you know, not maybe not, you know, being able to fit or whatever like that. I know they brought in Doug Marone to fix him. My question to you is, what other option do they have at right guard to even well, – who, who, who can challenge him, I guess? Yeah, yeah. I think it depends on what happens at left tackle. Um, Zach Streif spoke during the uh, New Orleans Saints Hall of Fame um, golf tournament, and one of the things that he talked about was you know, uh, the competition at left tackle. They drafted Trevor Penning, but they're not just going to give him the spot. He has to earn it. The competition that he'll have will be James Hurst. But my what I imagine there – is that if Trevor Penning wins that role, they like James Hurst enough, and he can play both tackle spots and both guard spots, that he may be able to compete elsewhere. So if Trevor Penning wins that left tackle spot, then I think that the competition for Cesar Ruiz could be James Hurst. And one of the things that Zach Streif also said was that, you know, if those guys, if one of those guys is up for some competition somewhere at one part of the line, and then they lose that competition, then they're up for competition somewhere else. Like, they're always going to kind of rev up competition and try to, you know, 
push development in that way. And so I think that one of two things can happen if Trevor Pinning wins the left tackle spot. It's that James Hurst pushes Cesar Ruiz for that right guard position. And if he ends up becoming the starter there, then Cesar Ruiz could then comfortably develop in the background and work with Doug Marone. Or the challenge of James Hurst challenging for that spot helps to push Doug Marone and Cesar Ruiz in terms of Cesar Ruiz's development and helps him kind of you know, take a step forward, right? Turn the corner, if you will, which we haven't really been able to see with him yet. So I think that, you know, James Hurst is really the guy to watch there. If not James Hurst, right, let's say James Hurst wins that left tackle spot, I think you let Penning play tackle, right? So you kind of use him as a backup or however it is that you want to utilize him, but I don't think you let him compete at guard. I think you let tackles play tackle. That's kind of my thing when it comes to tackles in the NFL. So I'd watch for Calvin Throckmorton as a potential guy that could challenge maybe and push a little bit during training camp. All right, bud, one more. Defense is loaded, right? It, it, there's so many guys on that side of the ball, so many talented guys. My question to you is this. What guy, maybe a big-time guy or a former starter, has the most pressure this training camp to prove that he belongs to keep a roster spot? Ooh, to keep a roster spot. I think maybe the one that stands out most for me would probably be Shy Tuttle. Um, I think the biggest question mark when it comes to the 2000, like, like going into the 2022 season is defensive interior. I think a linebacker is one that you might want to point at because Quan Alexander isn't there anymore, but they seem pretty comfortable with Pete Werner. But Shai Tuttle was the guy that effectively started next to David Onyemata once David Onyemata was back in, in the mix after his six-game suspension last year. And so a lot of folks are penciling Shai Tuttle in to, starting to be the guy to start next to David Onyemata in 2022. I think he can absolutely be that guy, but I think that now that you have veterans like Contavious Street and Jaleel Johnson, and then you went out and invested a six-round draft selection in Air Force Academies, um, Jordan Jackson, that now you have these other guys that can actually compete with Shai Tuttle to maybe claim a starting spot. I think no matter what, Shai Tuttle ends up on your 53-man roster. But in terms of a roster, in terms of the roster spot that he holds as a starter, that might be one that he'll have to battle a little bit to to keep. I think he can absolutely do it. We've watched him develop year in and year out. He you know, has worked really well with Ryan Nielsen, who's now co-defensive coordinator, in addition to being the uh, defensive line coach, but he will now have that competition with some veterans and, and, and an uber-athletic rookie that could come in and potentially push for some snaps next to David Onyemata. Ross, appreciate your time. As always, tell the people how they can follow you on social media and where they can go to get the Locked on Saints podcast, my friend, and all the work that you do writing as well. Yeah, absolutely. No, you can find the Locked on Saints podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Of course, uh, Apple, Spotify, everywhere, and also on YouTube. Uh, and you can find all the written work over at saintswire.usatoday.com. Daily pieces up over there with some great writers. Um, uh, you know, John Sigler, Dylan Sanders, Matty Hudak, all doing some really great work over there as well. And then, of course, you can find all of it together, all in one place. Easiest place would be on Twitter at Ross Jackson Nola. Ross, appreciate your time as always, brother. We'll be in touch. Enjoy the rest of your week, my friend. Thank you, my friend. You as well. Talk to you soon. Stay safe. I, I like that. Look, Thogmorton is going to be a guy to, to watch out. They brought brought back Doug Marone to fix the offensive line. That means teaching Andres Pete to be more than just pond water. He's a good run blocker, but pass blocking Andres Pete is pond water because he stands still. They got to fix him who's coming off an injury, and they got to fix Cesar Ruiz. They just have to. And if they can't, then they got to develop other guys on that roster to be able to step up and fill those voids. So I think Ruiz is going to be in a battle 
this training camp. His job is on the line whether or not he's going to be a starter in this league, and he's going to have to prove himself and take Doug Marone's coaching and then improve himself and take himself to another level. we got to take a timeout. We'll wrap up today's show, finalize the poll question of the day, and get you set up for footnotes with guest host George Faust. It's all coming up next right here on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. You're home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Sign up right now for the Game Rewards Club at 1037thegame.com so you can score tickets, gift certificates, and more. This is the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. want to take a moment to thank our guests what a way to start off the week strong guest and maybe even better phone calls today you guys came out and delivered great conversation great back and forth even held me accountable appreciate you brent don't you stop listening got number love for you shout out to jeff palermo from the louisiana radio network and also tiger rag radio talking all things lsu Interesting offseason. What does Brian Kelly do with his roster? How does he continue to fill it? Baseball, they're going to have turnover. Who's going to go to the draft? Who's going to leave for the transfer portal? We talked all about that with Jeff. Scott Rabelais, award-winning columnist from The Advocate, breaking down PGA Tour LIV issues, squabbles. It's an interesting time in the world of golf. A schism is taking place. Rabs was able to break it down for us like no one else. And Ross Jackson from the Locked on Saints podcast. Minicamp is right around the corner. What are the big questions that he has for the black and gold? We had a great time with all three of our guests. If you missed any of those interviews, not to worry. We'll post them later on our social media platforms, and you can listen to them by visiting our website as well, 1037thegame.com and 1041thegame.com. Poll question of the day, a weekend of upsets for the NCAA Super Regionals. Which one was the most surprising to you? Final results, 80% of you say Notre Dame taking down top seed Tennessee. 12% say Ole Miss, the fighting George Fouses over Southern Miss. And 4% each say Arkansas over North Carolina and Oklahoma over Virginia Tech. Once again, last time the number one overall seed for NCAA baseball won the national title was 1999, the Miami Hurricanes. You don't want to be the number one overall seed. For the intern extraordinaire, Daryl, way to step it up today, bud. The producer extraordinaire, Hannah Five Names, always top-notch, top-shelf quality. I'm Raymond Parch the third. I'll try to do better tomorrow, I promise, six to nine. But until then, be safe out there. Be kind to one another. Footnotes with guest host George Faust is up next right here on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, and your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros.